This is the Oanda Podcast. This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And today we're joined by Jeff Halley, Oanda senior market analyst for Asia Pacific. Good morning from London, Jeff. How are you doing? And good afternoon from Jakarta. It's a pleasure to be here as ever. Let's start with the latest from the markets where you are, and they've been in positive territory so far for the start of this week, which possibly suggests a bit of a disconnect between stock markets and reality. Well, you can often say disconnect stock markets and reality at uh, any point in, in, in time over the last 100 years, I, I sometimes think. But uh, certainly that's what we're seeing at the moment. We saw a very strong rebound in stock markets last week in the United States. And also we saw a huge session of gains on Friday. That's given plenty of momentum to Asian stock markets today. And as I look around Asia, I can see the Nikkei is up 1.5%. South Korea's Kospi is up 1.8%. Australian markets are up by about the same. Hong Kong's up by 2.5%. China markets are also up by about, uh, mainland China markets by around 1.5%. So a very positive day. Uh, What's driving this is somewhat counterintuitive. And that's the fact that as recession risks rise, and we saw some soft data from the US on Friday, markets are now pricing in a lower terminal interest rate for the Fed fund. So they're saying that the Fed won't have to hike rates by as much as it had predicted it would. And that in turn is good for stocks because lower interest rates usually flow through to higher valuations. The fact that the economy will be in a recession, and that's probably not good for stock markets, seems to have been lost at the moment. It's also been helped by the fact that that same dynamic seems to be moving through bond markets at the moment as well. And we've seen US uh, yields falling again uh, through the second half of last week. Are you saying that because we're going to be likely in a recession, Fed and other central banks will hold back on some of those interest rate rises in order to avoid a deeper downturn? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And the stock markets taking that is positive. But I I think part of this disconnect is that stock markets in particular have been pre-programmed over the last 20 years uh, to buy any dips because uh, in each of those situations, the central banks always cut interest rates to the bone and effectively backstop asset prices. The big difference that we're seeing right now is that uh, we're in a high inflation environment, whereas we've had no inflation in the world basically for the last 20 years. And I think that's the really big difference this time around. And that's why I I think the listeners should take the stock market rally with a little bit of a grain of salt at the moment. I mean, that said, there seems to be some quite strong momentum to it. And it wouldn't surprise me in the least if perhaps we saw this uh, stock market rally uh, extend for for a, a week or two. We do have a non-farm payrolls number coming out, not this Friday, but the Friday week. And then we'll have an FOMC policy meeting. So that thesis will, will, will undergo quite a strong stress test across those events. And just before we started recording, uh, Jeff, you mentioned a famous old quote from John Maynard Keynes, which I thought was very apt for the times that we're living in. What was it? 
That is one of my favourite quotes about investing and trading uh, of all time. And it goes something along the lines of the markets can remain irrational longer than you can stay solvent. <laughs> and I think that's a very important piece of advice to listen to. Yeah, indeed. Now let's uh, switch to oil prices, which of course were down earlier last week, but they have since recovered. Yeah, again, uh, this is another part of this whole uh, disconnect equation to me. So I was a little sceptical about the price falls last week. It seemed to me more like a culling of speculative long positioning than a structural change in the physical market. Now, there's a setup in the futures markets where Brent crude and WTI are traded called backwardation. And that means that the prices in the near month, so say the, the futures for July delivery, if there was a July delivery, those prices are much higher than, say, future deliveries such as December or March next year. It's called backwardation. That means that oil supplies in the near term are extremely tight and that investors or uh, consumers are having to pay up to try and secure those oil supplies. So when markets are tight like that, it's sort of inconsistent that you see an extended fall in oil prices. And what we did see is the whole curve just moved down in, in lockstep, but still stay in backwardation. Sure enough, we saw oil prices rally quite strongly by around about 3% on Friday. Uh, and they've made back basically all of their losses from early last week. We've got the stuff going on with Ukraine and Russia. That's a perpetual uh, risk point. We've got reduced gas flows coming to Europe from uh, Russia as well. Still, we've got shortages of refined products, diesel and gasoline, all over the world due to re refining capacity constraints and disruptions in China, et cetera, et cetera. So the energy market is still very tight. We have seen commodity industrial metal prices fall quite strongly this month, but energy has remained tight and that's feeding directly into inflation. And that's why when I see the currency markets not reacting to the stock markets, when I see oil not reacting to the stock markets in the way you think it would, if they're pricing in a recession, that's why I, I'm taking the, the rally in equities, perhaps with a grain of salt at the moment. And as we speak, of course, the G7 summit continues and uh, all the world leaders uh, trying to present a united uh, front, uh, which is important, really, although uh, with inflation and the energy crisis as it is, there are some predicting that it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, I, I can actually see this. And I, I, I think part of the downstream impact of this, uh, if you want to call it Western unity facing Russia, is a stagflationary wave of price increases that have come uh, into the world, things like foodstuffs, uh, edible oils, grains, energy, uh, potentially industrial metals as well, phosphate, which is used for, for fertilizers, etc., etc. And uh, this is an ongoing upward driver of prices across the entire commodity space. And that must inevitably flow through to inflation. And it's another reason I believe that we're going to see, even if inflation tops out, it's not going to fall back very quickly. So we could be in for an extended period of high inflation. Only a resolution one way or the other of this Ukraine-Russian conflict or when uh, those countries most impacted manage to secure alternative supplies for those shortages, uh, are we going to start seeing these stresses mollify? Very interesting. Let's uh, talk about cryptocurrency. And of course, there's been some massive 
falls in recent weeks, particularly for Bitcoin. A little bit of a recovery in the last few days, Jeff. Why is that? What we're seeing is uh, crypto moving around very much with risk sentiment, as we call it in the markets, how much risk investors are prepared to take. And we're seeing this uh, most noticeably, of course, in the equity markets, as we uh, as we um, discussed. And I note that um, the most interest rate sensitive stock markets, uh, stocks, which are those um, in the NASDAQ, have outperformed uh, the uh, S&P and the Dow Jones and the Russell relatively. Cryptos have also had quite a high correlation to movements in the NASDAQ as well. And I think what we're seeing is a, a modest rally on the back of this recovery in stock markets, which has lifted risk sentiment. Now, I mean, as I said earlier, we need to respect the short-term momentum of moves. And if I look at the technical charts, Bitcoin did make a fairly decent base around the 18,000 after the 20,000 broken. It's closed on a weekly basis back above 20,000. If it moves above 22,000, the charts do suggest it could uh, rally back to 24 or perhaps even 26. But really, Bitcoin would need to close above 28,000 on a weekly basis to move it out of its longer term danger zone. So the risk here is, is that if stock markets turn south again, then cryptos, including Bitcoin, will also turn south again as well. And when it went below the 20,000 mark to 18, as you said, there must have been some speculators out there thinking, well, we'll buy that particular dip and hope for the best. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes fortune favours the brave. And if you'd bought it around 18,000, you'd have watched it go up to nearly 22,000. And, uh, you know, that's a great trade. And I think this is the difference that people need to understand is it's a big difference between trading and investing. So for me, cryptos are a tradable asset, not necessarily an, an investable asset. And uh, trading by its nature is much more short term in its horizon as well. So yeah, great trade, uh, and my hats are off to them. I mean, fortune favours the brave, and when 20,000 broke, it was clearly what was going through the market then were margin stopouts for leverage positions, which sent it down to 18 quite, quite quickly. And then we saw an equally quick rebound as well. So um, as I said, uh, sometimes it's good to be brave, but timing is everything. Sums up all markets really, doesn't it? Absolutely, it does. Let's talk about the week ahead. And we're fairly short on data this week. It's not quite as busy as it has been in previous. What should we look out for? We've got uh, durable goods uh, tonight from the United States. And I think that along with, I believe, Michigan sentiment, there's downside risk in those in those readings. So if we get soft data points from those, that should ostensibly be a negative for markets. But in this environment, markets are probably going to accelerate those expectations that uh, the Federal Reserve will hike less quid pro quo. It could be a boost for stock markets because that's the environment that we've got. It's actually not the Michigan, that's, uh, it's actually the Dallas Fed Manufacturing Index. There's a bit of a gap in the calendar after that really. We have uh, Jerome Powell, Christine Lagarde and Philip Bailey all speaking at an ECB seminar on Wednesday evening, which could provide some short-term volatility. Thursday sees uh, Australian retail sales, again, quite good for short-term volatility in the currency markets. And then at the end of the week, what we're seeing is a, a huge uh, release of 
purchasing manager indexes uh, from across the world. So manufacturing, particularly, and services. The highlights in those will be the US uh, PMIs, uh, combinations of those releases come out on Thursday and Friday. But also for Asia in particular, we have the official PMIs uh, on Thursday, followed by the Kaizen PMIs for manufacturing on Friday. There's downside risks to those as well. I think all of the China ones, for example, will still be below 50, which is contractionary territory. But again, if they outperform, then that would be potentially another uh, bullish sentiment boost for equity markets, particularly local equity markets in Asia, as they price in this peak of the China downturn. Okay, Jeff, thanks very much for joining us this morning. We'll talk to you again soon. Always a pleasure. Have a wonderful week ahead. This is the Oanda Podcast.